Hello, everybody. My name's Chris Benjamin. I'm um, the preacher here. Some of you know that. Some of you may not. And, um, you know, this is one of those days where I, um, I really wish that I had a uh, kind of a, I guess, a tagline is what you would call it. I know guys have been preaching for a while, and they'll get up, and the first thing they say, they always say the same thing. Everybody knows what it is. They wait for that phrase. It's kind of that catchphrase that that preacher says. I've been doing this for 21 years, folks. Um, I, I, if I haven't got one by now, I don't think it's ever going to happen. So there you are. But, you know, I'll just say this. I'm really happy to see each and every one of you here. I'm really glad that you're here. I'm happy to be a disciple of Jesus today. I am glad that you are disciples of Jesus. If you are wondering what that's about, it would be my great honor to help you understand that sometime. What I would say is just keep coming back. Keep being a part of this, uh, this little fellowship that meets here. Come join us at worship. Come join us for activities. And um, if you've been here a long time and you're, you're even looking for something new, just, just keep getting involved and ask the Lord to show you the way. I, um, I don't have a nice catchphrase, but I do have a lot of honesty and a love for all of you. So would you join me in prayer? Father, we ask that you would be with us today. Uh, men, women, young, old, everybody gathered here today. Uh, people who have been your disciples a long time, a short time, who are just thinking about it. Father, I pray that you would be with us and be with me as the preacher to say words that all of us here need to hear. Be with all of us, including me, as hearers of this word, to be inspired to put this word into practice and to do it. And Lord, we're so thankful for the obedience of Jesus Christ that he uh, dedicated and trusted his life completely to you. And because of that, you vindicated his life. And death does not win. Sin and evil do not win. And we are thankful that in Jesus Christ, the worst things are never the last things. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a lot of emphasis on recycling. Um, you know, uh, they had a report not very long ago about how to recycle. Now, I thought all I had to do was take the stuff that was put on the side of the, of the, the blue bin and put that stuff in there. And I'm going to tell you right now why more people don't recycle. It's not because they don't love the planet. It's, it's not because they uh, don't care. It's because it's too hard. Recycling is far more legalistic than anything that church could ever come up with. Yeah. I mean, you know, you take, I, I, I had a pizza box. I thought, pizza box, cardboard, throw it in there. Can't do it, can you, Drew? Can't do it. You get a nasty note on your, you know, do not put pizza box in here. I'm like, well, then what are you supposed to do? I mean, everything. They had a report on TV, and these people were talking about recycling, and they had the expert. And the expert was there to come up to some random house and say, can we look in your recycling bin? And so they started looking through their recycling bin, and they said, mm, this won't do. It's a plastic jug. Yes, but it's a different kind of plastic than other plastic, and the only way you can know is you have to look, and there's a little symbol that's kind of 
hidden and you can barely see it, but it's right there. But it means don't recycle. Okay, so you can't do that. Or it has to go in its own deal. And then you look on here, and here's a piece of paper, and it has this, and it says you can't do that, and you can't recycle this, and you can't recycle that. At the end of the, the interview, I fully expected the recycling bin to be completely empty, and, and all that you could recycle would be the bin itself. Yeah. We have so much emphasis and so much effort is poured into recycling stuff. We focus on it. It becomes part of our policy. It becomes part of our, um, um, our activities, our daily activities. Why do we do it? Well, we want to save money. We want to save the, the community some money. We want to save the planet. We want to save the animals. I'm not even sure how to get the straws right now, you know? The, uh, I tell you, I, I bought up straws. I've got a big box, so when the straw apocalypse comes, you come see me. I'll make you, I'll make you a good deal on straws. But straws kill the turtles, and I don't know, and they, they kill the fish and everything else, but you've got to have straws. But why do we do all this? Because we, we are so focused on stuff and the material world that we live in. But isn't there something just a bit off? Do you ever get that feeling that there's something just a little bit off? And I'm not talking about your politics. I'm not talking about your leaning. But it's like, why is there so much emphasis on stuff, whether it's recycling or materialism? And we consider the resources that contribute to the well-being of life. But isn't there something just a little bit off when all of that becomes more important than human life itself? When we move on as a culture, when we go on as a culture, ignoring the value of human life. And it shows up in all sorts of things. It shows up in um, policies about reproduction and health. It shows up in um, our attitudes toward one another. It shows up in our attitudes towards violence. Sometimes it just shows up in apathy. And the invisible powers, those powers that cannot submit to God. And what, what am I talking about? What I'm talking about is I'm talking about the stuff that shapes you and I. They are things that are greater than us. They are not human. They're not people. They're not spirits. They're not demons. They're just things that influence our life. Things like the economy. You know, what is it? Well, it's, it's not a thing, but it's there. It's a reality that we live with. Things like the weather. That's a power. You know, all of these things. It, believe it or not, though, the weather is a power that's obedient to God. It does exactly what God wants. So there. So you don't like it? Who cares? It's being obedient to its master. But the economy <clears throat> is, is fueled by us. And a lot of these things are fueled by us. And it takes on our tendency to want to do things our own way. And I'm telling you, there are those forces, whether it's pride or popularity or whether it's uh, concern or worry or fear, and they want to ultimately make human life cheap. And it filters into our way of thinking so that you can actually have reasonable people make statements like, I mean, not bad people, not evil people, but... Basically, decent, good, reasonable people can say things like, you know, I hate to see someone in that condition. It might be better if they had never been born. Hmm. Yeah, it doesn't sound real good when I'm saying it up here, does it? It doesn't sound real good. But that's the kind of thinking that leads to stuff over history. 
where some lives matter more than other lives, where some lives are more valuable than other lives, where there's a quality of life that, that, that matters so much that we want to have the switch to end life. Some of you remember the name Jack Kevorkian. A few years ago, he created all sorts of scandal because he was a doctor that said that people ought to have the right to die. And, and it's, it's terrible that that whole debate centers around people who are so much in despair, who are so much in pain, that they don't want to continue living. And, and nobody wants to be cruel, but to say that death, that death by their own hand is merciful, is to ignore what God says about the value of life. And it's so difficult. It's so difficult because we think, I mean, we even mislabel such feeling as mercy. We call it mercy. It's not. It's pity. And pity, pity is a horrible thing. Because pity devalues people. When we hear people tell their uh, uh, story of how God has redeemed them, of how God has worked in their lives, they don't want your pity. To pity them does nobody any good. When we go and we visit people or we try to encourage people and we look at how much they're struggling with and we pity them, what good has that done anyone? Pity is a way of devaluing other people to say, you're pitiful, you're, you're poor, you're, you're sad, this is tragic. Oh, if only you could get back to being normal, happy, and ordinary like the rest of us. Well, it's all an illusion. What is it? that we can say that, that will help us be aware of the forces that want to make us turn life into something cheap, something quick, something that's just for thrills. I hate this term YOLO. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I don't know. Is that a really a new thing or is that an old thing? Is it, is it old? It's yesterday, right? It came out, what, about a year ago? Yeah, so, yeah. It means, for those of you who aren't hip, it means you only live once. So, yeah. And people use it, you know, it's like, hey, you know, uh, I ate escargot, I ate snails, you only live once. And that's the whole idea behind it, I guess. You know, or I'm going to do something reckless, you know, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go jump off of a bridge with a bungee cord made out of drinking straws, you know, you only live once. And so, uh, whatever, uh, but that's a kind of a phrase that says, hey, life's short, life doesn't matter. You know, I bucket list. I don't like bucket list either. You know, ah, oh, my bucket list. It's all the things I want to do before I die. Why? Your life is eternal. <laughs> you know, why? You know, I mean, besides, you don't know when you're going to kick the bucket. And what does it mean to kick the bucket anyway? We won't go there right now. But we have so much emphasis on death and the brevity of life, but it doesn't make us better people. What can we do not to cheapen life, but to regard it as valuable? And yet, not regard it as valuable and then become dour, grim, sorrowful people. Let's look at what Jesus says about this. Jesus talks about lives that, um, that God cares about. That God cares more about our lives than we care about recycled stuff. And God is constantly taking lives and turning them into something worthwhile. God is definitely in the recycling business and he recycles life. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is trying to teach us 
not to be worried and not to be anxious. He says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? This is a rhetorical question. Jesus is trying to get them to realize that out there in nature, you know, you, you, don't, you don't see worried birds, okay? Uh, even when they're really threatened, they, they, they don't really worry. They, they, uh, they, they have their food, they're taken care of, and they're just silly little creatures. I mean, if you love birds, that's great, but there's so many of them, it's like no, nobody, you know, they're not unicorns, Okay. I mean, you know, if you saw a unicorn, you'd think, wow, that's special. We need to, we need to take this unicorn, put it in a special pen, because there's not very many of them around, like none. And so, you know, we'd want to do something with that. But birds, yeah, birds are going to come back. And he says, God cares about the birds, and you are worth more to him than that. What's well, a message we need to hear? There's, 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 there's philosophies out there right now that say that, Human beings are a parasite on earth that, that, that you know, that we're just, we're just ruining the planet and the best way for the planet to get better is to get rid of us. Oh, that's great. But then who's going to sit around and worry about how good the planet is? I mean, you know, you think, uh, you think the animals are going to care about that? Are you kidding? You know, how many of you have dogs? Can you imagine if they were in charge of things? It'd be terrible, you know. Uh, and, and, oh, I mean, you can't trust animals. So, they, um, they're going to mess things up. We need to hear these messages that we are worth something to God. This is what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. So that's number one. Number two, in Romans 5, 8, God's not just saying that we're valuable. It's not just an I love you message. <clears throat> it's an I love you action. Paul is writing to everyone who will ever read his letter that God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Now, <clears throat> understand the significance of that phrase, while we were still sinners. That means that God took action first. God is not into playing conditional games. He doesn't make deals with you and I. We don't show up with our sins and say, hey God, listen... I'll do this for you, and then you save me when I'm dead and we start passing out tickets to heaven and hell, okay? I mean, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to build you a monument? Do you want me to do something for you? And then God is supposed to ponder it saying, hmm, you know, I really, really was impressed by that week where you did nothing but pray all week. That was something. I mean, that, that boy, that, that, that really charged me up, you know. I, I need people doing stuff like that for me. Thank you for building that, that, uh, that monument for me. Thank you for this. No. Before you and I were even born, before any of us even had the option of acting, God says, I'm going to save them. That means that everyone you've ever met, everyone you will ever meet, anyone in this world, Christ has died for them. And you're saying, but wait a second, there's a lot of people that don't believe. Uh-huh. And there's a lot of people who claim they believe and they don't take it seriously. That's right. And you're telling me that Christ died for them. He did. The fact that they can't appreciate that or don't yet fully understand that doesn't change the fact that God considered us valuable enough 
to sacrifice himself for us. See, that's the thing we've got to keep in mind because sometimes we act like we've got to do something to prove to God that we are worthy. And it doesn't work that way. In fact, trying to prove to God that we are worthy and we're special and we deserve some privileges, that's what's gotten us into this mess in the first place. So two things you can say here then. Life is valuable. One, it's valuable because God values it. You know, when you ask about the value of things and why something is worth something, I mean, why, why is gold valuable? Well, because it's rare. I don't know. Because people have always liked it. Why are certain things valuable? Because they're rare, because people want them, because they're highly in demand, because people have decided that they are. There's so many silly things that we consider valuable. I don't understand why those shopping networks. I mean, I get it that you've got a home shopping network and a quality value network, whatever, QVC. You know, you, they sell all kinds of different things. But it seems like every other shopping network, there's about 25,000 of them. Every single one of them sells gemstones. Why? What are they for? What do they do? You can make sandpaper out of them, you know. You can, I mean, they, 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 but they're, they're constantly selling these things. And you know what they are? They're rocks. But we've determined that they're valuable. Now, if we can pull that off, doesn't it make all the more sense that when God says something is valuable, it really is because he created the rocks. He created the people. He created the elements. Everything that is exists because of him. So when God says something is valuable, it's valuable. Second, life is valuable because Christ died for us. That set the cosmic market value of life. <clears throat> you know, if you ever doubt that, if you ever doubt that you're unloved, that you're unimportant, just know this. Your life is valuable because Christ died for you. There's no qualifications to this. It doesn't mean that, you know, uh, well, the older people are more valuable than the younger people because Christ died for them and they've lived a lot longer. No. All life is valuable to God. The life of the unborn, the life of the old, the life of those who are impaired, the life of those who are healthy, the life of those who are injured, those who are wounded in their soul, those who are wounded in their mind, those who are weak, those who have illnesses, all those lives are valuable to God. And God doesn't notice any of that other stuff because he's going to make out of our life what he wants to make out of it no matter what. You know, in God's activity in this universe, you see a principle at work. Now, you've got to know your stories, okay, and it's there if you, if you look for it. Here's the principle, a little bit of an equation. Life is greater than death. Now, you think, oh, yeah, <clears throat> we get it, okay. But, but, but before Jesus, everything was just death, darkness, gloom, and everything. No, no, this has always been the case. What happens in Jesus with the resurrection and reversing the death on the cross into the power of life, that's just God's signature on the whole thing, all right? Everything else is, is an example of life being greater than death. The creation, Spirit of God hovers over the waters. Everything is dark. It's, it's formless. It has no shape. There's no life. 
God creates. And you know, what he, you know what God is always saying? Be fruitful, multiply, multiply. God's into life. Not just life like, yeah, it's good, we got some life. I mean, he wants things to thrive. God doesn't want just one fish. He's not that, you know, you got people, you got different kind of fish owners. You know what I'm talking about? You got the one fish in a fishbowl people, right? And there's no middle ground here. You got the one fish in the fishbowl people. I don't know how that one little fish stays alive in that little tiny little globe, you know, but he's there. And then you got the people that have to have an aquarium. And I mean, they have the whole gang in there, you know. You got the pretty fish, and then you got the fish that has the big eyes, and then you got the fish that eats everybody else's dirt, and then you got the fish, you know, it's got a scar on his eye, and he's running around, you know, he's a pirate fish, and you've got a fish over here. I mean, there's whole, there's whole classes of fish. They've got their own little junior high school clique going in there and everything, you know, and these fish don't like that fish, and this fish doesn't like that fish. But it's always in between. God is the person who wants all the kinds of fishes in his fishbowl. All right? He's all about life. Multiply, multiply, multiply. When you get to the story of Noah, here they are. They're off the ark. Death's not going to win. He says, you, Noah, your family, all of the creatures, go out and multiply, cover the earth. Abraham. You know what God's solution is with Abraham? Abraham is part of God's plan to save the world, to redeem the world, to rescue the world. You know what he's going to do? He says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a promise. I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to make you the father of a great, great, great nation. And hey, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of forces in this world that would have devalued Abraham. God, are you serious? He's old. His wife can't have children. Come on. Isaac, the same thing is said to Isaac. I'm going to multiply you, make a great nation out of you. We went from Abraham to Isaac. We got Ishmael over there. We're not really sure how to count him, but you know, we've got Abraham and Isaac. We got one. Okay, okay. Uh, you know, what about Jacob? Now we start to pick up steam, but again, the message is the same. God's gonna overwhelm death with life. You got that, that that's just the that's just the tip of it. That's just where it starts. You have these stories of women. Women who want to have children. And it's not just about them having children because their biological clock is ticking and they want to be mommies. It's not that. It's that, it's that they want to fulfill the purpose of life. And so you have Sarah. You know, here, she, she, doesn't, she doesn't even fit into this category. She's old. She's never had children. But even if she had had children, she's old. And yet she's the one that God says, oh, no, you're going to have a child. You yourself will have a child. You've got Hannah who desires to have a child. She has more than one child, but because of her faithfulness and obedience to God, God uses her child Samuel to lead his people to uh, change the world. You have Ruth. I know Ruth, Ruth's not just looking for a child. Ruth's looking for life. Her and her mother-in-law made us, more or less made an end-of-life pact. They're widows. No one takes care of them. In their world, widows' lives are devalued. They don't have anyone to give them any kind of importance or value. You don't like that? I didn't make up history. That's the way it was. It's terrible. But they, they've lost everyone. And so, you know, kind of the strategy at that point is let's eat a good meal and then go starve to death. That's all you can do. But instead, Ruth becomes the source of life. And she, you know, she saves her and her mother-in-law and and, and you see God at work, letting life overcome death. Not only is it uh, uh, happiness and, and health, but it's also um, marriage and family. And, then, and out of the, she becomes, she's like, 
David's great-grandmother, okay? The king. And, and all of this comes about because the most unlikely of people get caught up in God's big agenda for life. Same way with Mary. Mary's an unlikely candidate because she's not even married yet, but God says, no, we're going to work life into this. And I want people to see that I am the source of life because there's more going on in this in this conquest of life. There's more going on than biology or organic process. You see, we can read these stories and we can get stuck at our point of great sophistication and say, well, yeah, sure. I mean, this is just like biology or agriculture or farming, right? I mean, you know, you get the right people together and you're going to thrive. You're going to have children. It's, it's, it's just kind of the natural order of things, right? Where do we get this term of the natural order of things? Who do you think invented the natural order of things? Who designed the natural order of things? But again, we as people who claim to be followers of Christ, we talk like this. I talk like this. And we don't stop and just recognize how amazing God's process of life really, truly is. And so, here's a good verse. Here's a good teaching of Jesus, uh, or it's actually of his angels, that will keep us from uh, falling down that hole. Life is greater than death. And before we draw the line at biological process and just think life is greater, because if if we stopped right there, we would think, well, yeah, life is better than death, but, you know, everybody's going to die, right? Okay. We keep looking for the source of life and the value of life in all the wrong places. We are just like those wonderful disciples, women, who went to the tomb on the day after the Sabbath to go and honor Jesus. These, these are the funeral women. They, they know, you know, there's a gift there to know exactly what kind of food to make at a funeral, to know exactly how to take care of families at a funeral, to know exactly what to say and do at a funeral. There's a gift there. And these are the women who know that. Everybody else is in a stir and they're all upset and they don't know what's going on. But thank God for these women because they know, you know what, somebody's got to go to that tomb and show some respect to Jesus of Nazareth, because he was a great teacher, he was our leader, he was our Lord, let's go to his tomb, we'll prepare the body, we'll do what is supposed to be done at times like this. But do you understand that when they're going to the tomb to prepare the body, they are still in the mode, the focus of death. They don't expect what happens next. When they see these angels, when they see the tomb empty, tomb's not supposed to be empty, you don't rent tombs, you know. I'm going to be here a little while and then I'll be gone. Okay. Put my towels away over here on the side and then we're out of here. No. You don't expect that. The tomb's empty. And, and they're saying, where, where is he? They're asking these angels. They're terrified. They're scared. They're worried. Where is he? We want to honor him. Where is he? And the question, the question just hangs in the air. Why are you looking among the dead for someone Who's alive? Like, why do you think he would be here in the tomb? He's not dead. Well, he was dead. Yeah, I know, but he's not dead now. He is not here. He is risen from the dead. Now, that takes us into a new category that, just like the women, we're not used to. 
But that's the category that you and I are being called into. This is recycled life. This makes a difference. And here's what I want you to know. This isn't just something that we affirm once a year on the day called Easter when everybody comes to church. That this recycled living is something that has to happen. Not just out there in our hearts or in our minds, but it's got to happen in the way that we live. And the answer to all the questions we're ever going to ask about life are found in the message that has to do with the resurrection of Jesus. You know, I got to thinking about this, and I, I started putting things on this list, and you can add things to it. If we expect that life is greater than death, if we really believe that, and I think that we do, if that is true, then how should we act? How should we behave? What would we do? We've been doing an event now called Night to Shine for a few years. Why do we do it? There's so much work that goes into that. There's so much activity. People get stressed. They get worn out. But it's good when it's done. We have a joy. Why? You know why? Because at the core of that event, what happens there is we see what we've called the upside-down kingdom. Because here's what happens at night to shine. Remember I told you that pity is a horrible thing? At night to shine, people with special needs are not pitied. They are honored. They are celebrated. They are loved. We work with others who the world might have pity for, and we treat them like friends. And it's not just that one event. Since that event, we have, had, we have made friendships with people. People that the world and the powers in this world will devalue and cheapen their lives. And our lives are cheaper when we don't know how to respect other lives. Um, we've got an event coming up in May called the Walk for Life. I'm going to tell you more about that in just a second. I want to show you an invitation to that. But there are things that we've also been doing like uh, Celebrate Recovery and Hope Park. And, you know, as long as we look at things as, well, there's us and then there's those people. There's us and then there's the poor. We're cheapening life. We're, in, we're involving ourselves in a culture of death and pity. And the thing is, you and I can put ourselves there. We will let shame dominate our life more than we will let God rule our life. We will let shame and fear define us rather than the living spirit of God. Let me show you how this works to realize that life is greater than death. You might say, you know, I mean, maybe you're keeping a secret from everyone, that, that you're, you're an addict, you, you drink too much, you uh, take substances, you take pills, whatever it is, and you're thinking, you know, I, I, can't, I can never get over this and I'll never be free from this. Yes, you can. Why? The resurrection of Jesus. People will say, you know, well, I've hurt people. I've done so many horrible things. I've actually physically hurt people, and I've emotionally hurt people. I can never make amends for that. I can never, get, I can never be forgiven of that. Yes, you can. Why? The resurrection of Jesus. Life gets recycled. People say, I have no hope. You don't understand. I've got a child. I've got a parent. I've got a friend. I've got a spouse who doesn't believe in God. They've given up, and I don't have any hope for them. And you never stop to think, well, their story's not over yet. And you know what? Their story's not going to end. And uh, maybe the way you think. And is there hope for them? You bet there's hope. Why? How do you know that? The resurrection of Jesus. 
You see, the, re- the story of Jesus should have ended at the tomb, but it doesn't. The same power that raised him is the same power that changes all those other things. Now, if God can raise his son from the dead, then how much more can he change the realities that you and I live in? We look at people at Hope Park. We look at the people in this community that, that, that we consider the poor or the broken or the hopeless. You know, what are we going to do? How are we going to fix them? Answer, we're not going to fix them. But Jesus is. The resurrection power of Jesus can make a difference. The same power that brought him up to life can change people's lives. Now, we've got to believe that. Otherwise, we're not being true to our message. Otherwise, our message is just, hey, stick with us and, boy, we'll do our best and we'll try to find a way to fix everyone. And that's not gospel. That's just good intentions. Despair, grief, whatever it is. If we believe that life is greater than death, then we know that God is doing more. So let me tell you a little bit about Walk for Life. Walk for Life is uh, sponsored by... Well, I tell you what, I'm going to let the video speak for itself. I want you to take a look at this, and I'll tell you more about it. First Choice Pregnancy Medical Center would like to invite you to participate in our annual Walk for Life. Life is a gift. Celebrate it. This is a non-athletic event to bring awareness and raise funds for the cause of life. At First Choice Pregnancy Medical Center, we are here for families facing unplanned pregnancies. Supporting us helps save lives physically and eternally. It's simple. Just pick up a brochure and ask as many people as you can to sponsor you. Then just take a walk around the park. It's that easy. Always a fun time to come together as a community to celebrate life. Bring the entire family. And if you receive at least $275 in sponsors, you get a free t-shirt. Can't walk that day? Walk when you can. This year, our Walk for Life is Saturday, May 18th at Creekmore Park. Registration starts at 8.30 and our walk begins at 9. Won't you join us? Life is a gift. Let's come together as a community and celebrate it. I I, I forgot to tell you that you might see some people that you recognize in that video. Because they've been doing this for a while. Um, Kevin and Christy, wave your hands right back there. Okay, they're going to be out there at a table. This is something you can do, is walk for life. I mean, if we believe that life is greater than death, and these are the sort of things we can do that create a culture of, of God's value of life that overcomes the powers of death. You know, there's a lot of political debate that goes on about abortion and unwanted pregnancies, and there's a lot of politics that goes into that. Why do we think that we're going to do any good by yelling at the other side? It's not going to do any good. It's just going to get us upset. We're going to get anxious. And some of you, your lifespans are going to shorten because of that. And, and, and don't put your faith and trust in anything else. But what if we can honor and respect life and then trust that God will do what he does so well and what he's always been doing? You know, I, I, I got to tell you, too, in this, and I told them that I was going to tell you this. Kevin and Christy are involved in this, and, and Christy is a uh, coordinator with the organization some of you haven't met their, their, their youngest child, whose name is Gabriel. Gabriel's life was not measured in days. Gabriel's life was measured in minutes. He's the youngest of their four children. 
And I, I had the pleasure of, of meeting him. And no, he didn't live long. But I tell you, that life is still so valuable because it has created things like this. It's because of his life that this event is taking place. And, you know, his name is Gabriel because they named him Gabriel because they said he has a message, a message about God's value of life. And every family that I know that's had a child that, that is young like that, yes, there's some hurt, yes, there's some grief, but ultimately there is this precious value of life. And we've got to understand what it means to be a people who are so obedient that the span of one's life is not what makes the difference. When we realize that God takes life and he renews them, and he, you know, we use all kinds of terms, renewal, uh, reformed, you know, recycled, let's just say it, recycled. It leads us to very different values. We share our goods. You know, I'm just thinking of, I'm, tr- I'm trying to relate this to ways that we do this. And I want you to know that you can do this in creative ways. The stuff that we're so concerned about recycling, the stuff that we're so worried about acquiring, the stuff that we're so worried about throwing away is stuff that we learn to let go of it and share it. The life that we enjoy is life that we can share. The redeemed life, the new life, the power of life. Um, There's a story that I've published, and and I can tell you more about it if you want, but you need to watch what some of our people in other countries are doing because they're right up against these cultures of death, maybe in ways that are even more profound than what you and I deal with. And one of our families in Southeast Asia recently told a story about how, how much they appreciated the Night to Shine event because... In, in the nation where they currently live, people that are born with uh, some condition or a special need are often considered a curse, and they are outcast, and they're not shown love, and the families worry that that has happened because somehow the heaven hates them. Now imagine what they have to do to share the good news of God's life in places like that, and yet I tell you, we have to do the same thing. It might be subtle to us, just like the people living in that culture. They don't even realize it sometimes. But you and I can live out God's life across the street, around the world, wherever it may be. And we do that because we look at things differently. One of the first people to uh, experience a recycled life was Lazarus. Now, Lazarus is not resurrected. And, you know, i got to say this because everybody keeps doing this with Easter. People keep equating Easter and the resurrection to zombies and vampires, all right? Y'all quit that. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's, it's not the same thing. We're not just talking about reanimation. We're talking about a new way of living. Now, Lazarus is just kind of a, a sample of that, that, that God restores Lazarus to this life that you and I live now. But Jesus can do that because he ultimately participates in the resurrected eternal life. And so Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He's already said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. 
This means that he has that authority. It's, it's as if you see Jesus at this point already talking about who he's going to be. And, of course, when John's putting this gospel together, he knows that that's who Jesus is. But he says, anyone who believes in me will live. Even after dying, they'll live. That's a new category. He says, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. And then he wants to ask Martha, but it's a good question for all of us. Do you believe this? The question is not, is this easy to believe? Because it may not be easy to believe. I don't think it always is. It doesn't fit into our categories. The question is not, uh, you know, do you think maybe this is a possibility and Even if it's not, things are still okay and good, and it's good to have faith and pray. No. The question is, is do you believe this? In other words, do you trust? Jesus is asking Lazarus' sisters, do you trust in the one who is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe this? We've had a lot of people recently say that they believe this. And you know what? Trusting in something doesn't mean that you get all your questions answered, and it doesn't mean that you have no doubts whatsoever. It just means that you're willing to trust in the one who is the resurrection and the life. Why wouldn't we trust in him when we trust in so much garbage in this world and so much stuff that doesn't always ring true? Father, I pray that you would uh, help us in our unbelief and help us to believe and then help us to live out the kind of life that is a resurrected life, that, that demonstrates the value of life because you valued it and you died for us and you died for everyone. So even the people that we're angry at and even the people that we want to run away from and the people that we're scared of, you died for them and you have made their lives valuable, Father, Teach us how to live recycled, renewed lives that reflect your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Front page of your newsletter says that there will be elders here, uh, elders in room 100. You know, if you need help with anything, if you need help with belief, whatever it is, just say, I need help, okay? Let's stand. Let's sing together.